and welcome to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. I'm Paul Carr. It's episode 41 of the show, and since we're talking NFL, I guess it's the Alvin Kamara edition to match his jersey number, or maybe Matt Snell if you want to go back into the 60s. We have two guests this week, both winners of the college division in the NFL's Big Data Bowl. This year marked the third version of what's now an annual competition in which students and professionals are given access to NFL tracking data, assigned a question, and then turned loose to see what they can come up with. Previous editions of the Big Data Bowl looked at identifying route concepts and predicting rush yardages, and if you're interested in last year's contest on expected rushing yards, check our archives from a year ago for my conversation with winners Dmitry Gordeev and Philip Singer. This year's Big Data Bowl assignment was to evaluate defensive performance on passing plays. In other words, use the tracking data to quantify the quality of defensive backs in 2018. The data included the location, speed, and orientation of each player measured 10 times per second, and the submissions were judged by analysts from NFL teams and others in the football analytics community, including True Media's own Albert Arcada and Andy Cox, who will join me at the end of the show. But first, I'll chat separately with Jill Reiner and Ella Summer, the college division winners, about what they're studying in school, how they got interested in the Big Data Bowl and decided to join the competition, their approaches and methodologies in evaluating past defense performance, what surprised them as they dove into the data, what next steps they'd ideally take to examine the topic further, keys to communicating their work effectively, and other work they've done in sports analytics. I think this episode provides a pretty good glimpse into the kind of work NFL teams can and will do with tracking data and into the sorts of paths that are available for students and really anyone interested in a sports analytics career. So without further ado, here are the expected value conversations with first Jill Reiner and then Ella Summer, winners of the 2021 Big Data Bowls College Division. We're joined now on Expected Value by Jill Reiner, a junior data analytics major at Denison University in Ohio and one of the winners at the collegiate level of the 2021 NFL Big Data Bowl. So, Jill, welcome to the show. I, I guess I just kind of said what you are studying and where you're at school, but uh, tell me about that path, the data analytics path at college for you. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm a data analytics major, which is basically a lot of math, a lot of stats, a lot of programming. Um, R is my favorite language, but mm-hmm. yeah, so just learning a lot about you know, how to communicate data, I think is a huge focus, especially being at a liberal arts school like Denison. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, so I didn't really find the data analytics major until mm-hmm. my second semester freshman year. Um, so I was taking a lot of random classes, just trying to see uh, what interested me. And I stumbled upon the intro to data analytics class. Um, that kind of really got me into the major and did some cool projects there, some out-of-the-box ones as well. Yeah, I, I really like the major here, and if there's any high schooler listening, uh-huh. I would definitely recommend Denison and data analytics in general, too. So if someone's looking to major in data analytics or, or something similar, and I ask this because like this major didn't exist when I was in college you know, back in the day. Uh, so... This is, it's a, sounds like a combo. It's a combo of math, of computer science. It's kind of all these things. And then you're, you're putting all that together to work with large data sets and pull info out of that. Is that kind of a good summary? 
Yeah, that's a pretty good summary. And then just also, like I mentioned, just, you know, being able to communicate mm -hmm. what the data is telling you is huge. So that's another big part of it as well. All right. So NFL Big Data Bowl, how did you find out about this? What kind of motivated you to get into this competition? So I think I heard about the Big Data Bowl last year for the first time, just looking at Twitter, kind of followed along from afar and watched what other people were doing and some of what the winners were doing. But I didn't really consider participating until this year. I think my younger self was intimidated by tracking <laughs> data and actually working with it. But this year, Mike Lopez and his awesome group at the NFL created a mentorship program for mm -hmm. underrepresented groups in sports analytics. And I thought it would be a great opportunity to learn from someone within the NFL and also finally work with this tracking data. So I applied to that and I got in. Um, I was paired with Sarah Bailey of the Rams mm -hmm. and she's awesome and just shared really good tips and gave good feedback along the way. And I'm really grateful for all of her help. So your task for the Big Data Bowl was to evaluate defensive performance on passing plays. Where do you start? This is very open-ended. Uh, where do you start as you just start processing what you want to do with this question? Yeah, I think initially when I downloaded the data, I was still pretty overwhelmed by just the size of it. And mm -hmm. I wasn't really picking up any initial ideas based on just looking at the data. Um, so I think my younger self was valid for being intimidated by tracking data. But yeah, I had absolutely no idea what route I wanted to take at the beginning. Uh, I jotted down in my notes app on my phone some ideas, but they were just kind of random and disconnected. But my first actual idea that I thought would be cool to still look at in the future was to look at penalties. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of thought that maybe there's such a thing that there's a quote-unquote smart penalty to take as a defender. but mm -hmm. That idea didn't end up panning out. Um, I knew I wanted to go the player evaluation route and just kind of thought of models that might be helpful to build, even though I didn't really have a clear idea of what I wanted in the end. But uh, So I built my target probability model first with really having no idea of what my end goal was. But things came together pretty quickly from there, and I finally settled on my idea. Let me ask you about that target probability model. Because I know you said you built a completion probability model also. Uh, and that seems a little more intuitive to me as a little bit of a less technical person. The target probability one, what goes into building that? What are your factors that decide whether a guy is going to be targeted or likely to be targeted or not? Yeah, so it's a pretty simple model. I wanted to keep things simple just to you know keep the explainability uh, high. Uh, in my final report. Um, but so the variables I included in that were the receiver's distance to their closest defender, so like mm -hmm. separation, and the distance to the quarterback and the speed of both uh, their the receiver and then their closest defender on them. So I kind of matched together uh, receiver-defender pairs uh, based on distance. Uh, it was very simple, but uh, could probably do a little bit better job in the future of just making sure that, um, you know, each receiver has 
who's actually covering them on mm-hmm. on the receiver, but it's a really hard task. And um, but yeah, just kept things simple for that model. So yeah, that was basically the premise of that model. So you have a target probability model, a completion probability model. How do you roll? What's next? How do you roll all these models together to start spitting stuff out for you? Yeah. So first of all, I split up each passing play into mm-hmm. three stages. Uh, the first was snap to pass forward, pass forward to ball arrival at the receiver, and then the the pretty small window of the ball arrival to the eventual outcome of the pass. And so I wanted to, basically, my goal was to look at defenders on a more granular level than popular defensive metrics do, which mm-hmm. are very outcome-based as they are. Um, and so... Yeah, using those models, I basically used the differences in those stages for each, the target probability model and the completion probability model uh, for each stage they were matched with. Um, And then, yeah, just using those differences for each defender, uh, I came up with a stat for each stage. Um, And so... From the models, I just aggregated those differences in target probability or completion probability. And then I also clustered those stats at the end to see if there were any defender groups that stuck out or, you know, just to see which uh, players, you know, group together nicely or are strong or weak in each area that I looked at. So a defender could be good we'll say until the release, like I guess this would be where it maybe has good cover skills, but not good ball skills or something like that. So you split all that up. And so did did you find different guys, you know, they'd be good at one area and not the other. How did those areas, those three stages of the pass play, how did those overlap? Right. So cluster two, I'd say they were all around really good in all stages of a Mm -hmm. pass. So you'll find your your good guys up there, like Stefan Gilmore was really good in 2018. He's in cluster two. So mm-hmm. that's an example. But then cluster one and cluster three, they were a little iffy um, in one stage or in two stages. So, for example, cluster one, they were pretty good in stage one, but they weren't so good in stages two and three. And then cluster three was kind of vice versa. They weren't really good at averting targets, but they were okay in the the second and third stages. So the averting targets thing is interesting. So you're looking at guys who maybe were, they just were thrown at less also, or thrown at more. That was part of what uh, you returned from the study, right? How how did that uh, manifest itself? I think what you could take from this is that if a guy is targeted less, maybe you'd want a receiver who is targeted more by their quarterback. So I think that was another area that I wanted to look at in the future is just seeing how the receiver defender relationship uh, is really cultivated or if there is a relationship, like maybe it's that there's a receiver that's really good at getting open in that first stage. You'd probably want a DB who's high up there and targets averted. What, what surprised you as you did this? You know, you were expecting X, but why happened something like that? Or, or what surprised you from the study? Yeah, I think maybe less about my individual project and results, but I think mm-hmm. with tracking data in general, I don't think people 
realize or talk about the issue that there's so many elements you have to consider with working Mm -hmm. with the tracking data. So I think a few weeks of my time working on my project was just dedicated to getting the data in the form that I need to do the modeling in. So you can't just plug in your X, Y stuff and expect a a good model result, but it's as much as a data storage and data Mm -hmm. optimization problem as it is a modeling or a football problem. So that's definitely something I wasn't expecting going into it, but I think it really put my, all of those skills to the test, like, you know, just doing all of this on my small laptop, Uh not much memory. was definitely an obstacle. So I think that's good experience as well. And so what's what's kind of the overview of that? Because again, you're getting this raw data, massive data in a a very raw form, and you have to, you know, translate it into the right, whatever, columns, rows, format that you're looking for. What's the general process for starting with something so raw and turning it into a very useful data set? Yeah, I think I start off a lot of my projects that I've done by just writing basic functions to Mm -hmm. do very simple things that I could use multiple times. So um, I use R, like I mentioned, but um, yeah, so I just had a, a file just called functions where I just wrote basic stuff. Like I had a function to get all the defensive players and the offensive players, and then one to get the distances between each of them. So I'd say starting small like that, just with functions and not trying to do everything at once is really important. So you mentioned, you know, you were interested in if penalties were a factor or something. What other future next steps would you ideally do? You know, obviously you had a very limited amount of time to work with this data. So, you know, you've even said this is not a finished, completely polished thing in a perfect world. What ideally would your next steps be from this? Yeah, I think there's a lot of steps that I could build on or someone else could build on my work, um, you know, build off of what I laid out. But I think a big step that I wanted to get to that I really didn't have time for is to actually put a value to these stats, like whether that be Mm. EPA saved based on how well a guy's covering their receiver um, in one stage of a pass or even, you know, salary projection, I think is huge too. And Mm. uh, Nate Sturkin, one of the judges suggested that. And I think that's a really good route, route to take. Um, But I think on a smaller level, you could look at all of this from a receiver standpoint or look at it by route. Like maybe it's that a defender is really good at covering go routes or not covering go routes. But I think there's a lot that I could build on and hopefully I can keep doing similar work in the future. So you mentioned the keys, how important it is to communicate. The judges singled that out when they, they talked about your project, how well it was communicated. What's important? Like, what are the couple of things you're keeping in mind as you are translating uh, what can be very granular work into something that, you know, in theory, you could hand to a coach or someone uh, more on the football side than the data side? Yeah, I wanted to really optimize my explainability, interpretability, and uh, the stability of my predictions. So I think when I was building my models, I kept that in mind. Um, but I'd say, with the modeling, the main advantage of my simple logistic regression models is the interpretability. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I used a really complex model, the predictions 
might get a little foggy. And I wanted everyone to understand really where the predictions and the differences in target probability and all of that, where they were actually coming from and how they were being generated. And then in terms of like variable selection, I wanted to pick variables that made sense and tried to isolate the receiver defender dynamic as pl- as close as possible. So I included variables that made sense in that regard. Yeah. And then in terms of writing my report, I kind of just looked at things by play. So I had my little plots of my little dots and I just, you know, looked at one play and I said, okay, here's what's going on. The size of the receiver represents their probability of being targeted or the probability of catching the ball. So just keeping things down to one play and just not trying to over explain and just use pretty simple terms that everyone could get. Like I, I wanted my stats nerds to understand, but I also wanted my football people to also understand. No, it's a tricky line to walk, and it sounds like you did it well. Uh, you had a, a good story about how you found out that you were a, a finalist here. What was that story? Yeah, so I was in the middle of a Zoom class. Um, yeah, I was just checking Twitter during my class. What? Yeah, probably shouldn't <laughs> have been doing that. But, but yeah, just checking Twitter. Um, Mike Lopez tweeted out the night before. And he was like, winners announced at 11. And I was like, oh, I'll check at 11. But it was kind of before 11, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, I definitely did not pick up anything after that was announced <laughs> in my class. So um, had a little bit of catching up to do in the math. So That's, that's understandable. No problem. All right. We like to wrap things up with our plain favorite segment where we uh, just rip through a number of your favorites. So what is your favorite number and why? My favorite number, I'd say, is 18. I think it's just a lucky number for me mm-hmm. and always has been. So, And I think 8 is an aesthetically pleasing number, but that just goes along with it. So 18 mm-hmm. is no, a good number. We had number another, another guest say the same thing about 8 uh, recently. Oh, cool. <laughs> Who is your favorite player, either now or growing up? Yeah, my favorite player growing up was Derek Jeter. Mm. Um, grew up in New York. And I'm from New York, so I kind of grew up while Derek Jeter was in his prime. Yeah, for sure. Do you have a favorite game that you've gotten to go to in person? Yeah, so related to Derek Jeter, Mm -hmm. I went to his 3,000th hit game. Nice. Um, Yeah, so it's funny because my dad and I were trying to predict when he would actually get it. And a lot of Yankee fans were doing this. So Uh we thought it would happen the game before the one he actually got it in. Um, And we tried getting tickets for that game, but they were super expensive because, you know, smart Yankee fans on StubHub were were planning it out just Uh like we were. But uh, everyone thought it was going to happen that game, but it ended up being rained out. So my dad and I lucked out because we bought tickets to the next game. So Mm. we got to see it happen live the next day. So that's definitely a favorite. That's great. That's uh, it's like the opposite of my experience back when George Brett got his 3000th hit. I had done the same thing trying to scout it out. And then he went out and got four hits the night before and I missed it by a game. Yeah. But, you know, what can you do? Yeah. Yeah. And Jeter was five for five in that game. I don't remember great. which hit it came from, but I think, I think it was the home it was run, really wasn't cool. 
Yeah, it was a home run. Yeah. I don't know what number. What number five? But... Right, right, yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite nerdy thing that you track? You know, just something that you keep track of because you know we are data people and this is what we do. Yeah. So maybe this isn't as related, but I have dogs that mm-hmm. have fifty thousand followers on Instagram. <laughs> Uh-huh. So they're two black labs. If you want to give them a follow, they're Archie and Bodie. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's my mom and I, and we just kind of, you know, post and read messages. And, yeah, so I kind of track their mm-hmm. engagement numbers on yeah. Instagram and their follower count. Like, how many followers are we gaining? Um, it's not super nerdy or, like, data heavy yet but maybe i'll maybe i'll try to predict how many followers they get in a certain (laughs) time one day and finally what uh, favorite cool thing that's happened since uh, winning this big data ball interaction or or something cool that's come about already yeah i've said this time and time again in all of the the talks that i've done but i think just being in that same conversation as people that have done well in the big data ball recently Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hopefully I can keep doing cool work like a lot of them have and see where that takes me. All right. That's, that's great. Well, congratulations again on the win. And Jill Reiner, data analytics major at Denison University, winner of the collegiate uh, division of the 2021 Big Data Bowl. Thanks for joining us here on Expected Value. Thank you. We're joined now on Expected Value by Ella Summer, one of the winners of the NFL's Big Data Bowl College Division for her work entitled Random Player Effects Defensive Backs. Ella, before we get into the details of what you did for the Big Data Bowl, let's start with just where you're at. Where are you? What are you studying and where are you in school? Yeah, so I'm currently a fourth year at University of Virginia. I'm finishing up my uh, stat and econ major and kind of ready to get back or get out into the working world. Yeah. Okay. So how did you find your way into the sports analytics world? This is always, it's always interesting to see what grabbed people's attention. How did you find your way here? Totally. Yeah. So, um, I actually have been a huge sports fan my entire life. I grew up in Chicago and my dad had kind of just instilled like Sunday football was a thing that we Mm -hmm. had to do every single Sunday (laughs) from the time I was born to all the way throughout high school. So like with that, I just kind of became a huge sports fan, got into baseball as well, hockey. And it's pretty easy to be a sports fan in Chicago. So Mm -hmm. once I got into high school, kind of figuring out like what I wanted to study, um, I I had always really loved math and was wanting to do something with sports. I had no idea what. Ended up writing Moneyball my junior year of high school, took an AP stat course, loved it. And so when I came to UVA, I like started my major in stat, but then also I uh, was trying to get into the athletics program here. Um, so I took a few stack courses, stuck with it throughout my entire four years because I just really enjoyed them. Um, I added econ a little bit later. And then um, I also started working for the football team my first year at UVA. So like through that, I met the football analyst, ended up working for UVA football. And like all of my experiences, what I've had, have just really instilled like how much I love working in sports analytics and definitely the career path I want to go down. That's great. Let me ask you about the UVA football stuff right yeah. off the bat. Cause I think, I feel like college football is something that we don't think of generally speaking as analytically. Totally. It's just, just cause the information in some ways isn't out there and it's not as public and things like that. What, what, what do you do? What did you do for the UVA football program from an analytics standpoint? Yeah. So they actually, I mean, 
I'm not really sure how other teams work um, in college, okay. but from my understanding, we had a pretty large group that worked in analytics. Um, we weren't like in, technically employees, but UVA has something for systems engineering students when they're fourth years um, where they have to do a capstone and like write a thesis and they get a client. And so one of these groups is called Hooball and their client was quote unquote like UVA football. So when I worked for the football team first year, I was just an equipment manager, but I ended up meeting the football analyst. So like through him and then they're kind of like doing a couple things of research, I figured out like who the professor that led this capstone was. And second year, um, this professor let me join on that first semester, oversee it a little bit. And then I like really dove in my second semester. So it was like a group of eight or nine students. And we had two like general teams, one focused on recruiting and then one focused more on like game management. And then in these two other team, in these two teams, we like focused on um, an expected points model, matchup reports, likelihood of a recruit committing to UVA, um, and then like a hidden gem model. And this was a whole year long project that we ended up compiling into like an eight page paper at the end of the year. Um, and then we ended up also um, presenting to the coach. Nice. That sounds slick. I, I could probably spend the whole podcast asking yeah. details about that. Yeah, it was uh, awesome. But let's let's get into the big data bowl. How did you find out about it? First of all, how did that yeah. kind of come to your attention in the first place? So a couple of years back, I mean, I saw a posting for the big data bowl. I didn't really know what it was. I played around the data a little bit, um, never submitted anything. And then this year when Mike Lopez um, posted on Twitter, I think this mentorship program back in August or September, I applied for it um, and ended up getting in. So when I was matched up with my mentor, uh, we kind of talked about like creating that big, big data bowl submission. It was optional, of course, but I figured this was the best time to do it. It was kind of like right after um, the pandemic started. And, you know, I wasn't really like I, did, I wasn't super into the sports analytics world at this point. Um, mm -hmm. I'd been removed since all the internship programs had been canceled. So I thought this was a perfect way to get back into it. And after talking to my mentor, I like, decided to create a submission. And Namita Nandakumar was your mentor, right? Yes. Yeah. Former, she's yeah. awesome. She's great. We <laughs> talked to her last year on the podcast. So yeah. Check, check the archives to find <laughs> that. So, okay. Your task for the Big Data Bowl was evaluate defensive performance on passing plays. Yes. Very general. What do you start thinking about when you say this is the problem? Yeah. So I think that something that I've always really found interesting um, in football analytics and why, like, I mean, I have some experience with baseball as well and why I think the two are so different is because football you can't really isolate players as well um mm -hmm. and i think that the combinations of players is really interesting because one player can easily affect another teammate on the field and so back in the fall i like read a couple papers um actually for baseball and one that i stumbled upon was it was about um how to predict like wins versus losses in a season based off of wins above replacement and basically yeah. they created i think four different metrics from wins above replacement and one of them being a player complementarity one. So kind of seeing if, if a, a team can overperform their predicted wins, it doesn't right. have to do with a player complementing another player. Right. So you can, can you get, can you get one plus one to equal three basically? Exactly. Or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah. So um, off of that paper, I was like kind of thinking, okay, maybe I can do something with that. Basically can a player affect another player on the field? Can a defensive back affect another defensive back on the field? So that was like the basic overview. And then when talking to Namita, I mean, we really had to narrow down like exactly the question I was trying to answer. 
And then we got into like figuring out target versus completion probabilities and kind of doing a couple things of research on um, what, how past coverage was evaluated currently. And I mean, looking at PFF and I've worked with PFF data in the past as well, they don't do anything with um, targeting probability. They only focus on people that are already targeted. So that's kind of the route that I went down and a lot of others went down as well. If you look at the other big data submissions. And you used a random effects model, yes. which seems to me from my scanning of, of the submissions, a little bit different than most people, the route most yes. people took. What does that mean in kind of lay terms and why did you yeah. pick that methodology? I mean, I, I went through a lot of different kind of ways to do this. Um, and, you know, I was looking about predicting wins versus losses in general, but with football, there's such a low sample of games. So I didn't really mm-hmm. want to go down that path. And when I was kind of talking to Namina about all of these and the questions I was trying to answer and these plays that I was pulling, there was one play I think where Patrick Peterson was on defense and he wasn't targeted on a play. And I was like, okay, I wonder if there's a Patrick Peterson effect there. Like maybe he isn't being thrown to because he is Patrick Peterson. Um, and once I asked, asked Namita that question and she's like okay like think about that for a little bit and then I was like okay wait that's it that's a good point like maybe I should go down this path so basically random effects is a way to figure out the things that the player isn't in complete control of and that random effect will capture what that player kind of represents so for example in my completion probability the random effect uh, that random completion effect is basically just based on this player alone, how much above or below average is he drawing an incompletion? And then the same for targeting. The, based on, or compared to the average, how much is he targeted above or below the average defensive back in the league? And those are your two main outputs that you came up with, target yes. probability and completion, and completion probability. probability yes. and then, so you look at those, what, what do those numbers mean? As you look at those, what do they mean to you as you uh, apply them to players and try to figure out how the pieces all fit together? Right, so yeah. The two models that I did, um, I mean, they both had two steps to them. One was just creating this probability in the first place and then pulling that random effect. So the two metrics that I ended up with um, were a target probability effect, which would be the percentage that this defensive back is targeted below or above the average defensive back in the NFL. And then also the completion probability effect, which is the percentage that this defensive back draws a completion below or above the average defensive back in the NFL. And what surprised you for, as you pulled all these things out and you're, you're looking at the data? Did anything jump out? You're like, ah, oh, that's interesting, whether it's player specific or just generally working with all the data. I mean, I definitely, when I um, got these metrics, definitely try to, try to dive into more of the players that I knew a little bit better, um, just to see, make sure that they made sense and there weren't right. any like really off-putting ones. So I like, looked at Eddie Jackson. His completion probability effect was like negative 0.27, which means that he was drawing a completion 27% less than the average defensive back, um, which made sense. He was one of the best defensive backs in 2018. So like I looked at a few players like that, and most of those metrics um, ended up matching up. And the thing that surprised me the most actually was I kind of had an intuition that target probability and completion probability would have some type of correlation. Like if a defensive back is drawing incompletions often, I would assume that offenses wouldn't want to target them that often um but there was actually no correlation at all between these so Hmm. while it was surprising it did kind of help a little bit more in the analyzing of players and different teams as well um just because there wasn't any really like bias there 
Hmm. So, so you're saying that, you know, we'll just say stick with Patrick Peterson. He's a good yeah. cornerback and you know, the numbers show that he's a good cornerback because the completion probability is less, but quarterbacks were not targeting him less because of that. Like, so that exactly. number, or there was no correlation at least between those two numbers in the big no. picture with everybody. That's kind of the, the thing that surprised you is that. Yes. And I was worried that, that there would be some bias there and there ended up not being any. So, so you have these two numbers, your target probability, completion probability, the random effects applied. What would you do with this in theory? If you're going to a coaching staff or somebody on a team uh, with this information, what would you present to them and for them to, you know, then make a decision or at least something to think about off of the numbers? Right. So I think that there are like three kind of main paths for this to go down. Um, one being more of like a player personnel path. So kind of looking for those undervalued players. Um, there were a couple of players who had a pretty low PFF coverage grade. However, they had a very low target probability. So maybe this player wasn't really good at drawing an incompletion, but he was good at shutting down the receiver before the pass was thrown. Mm-hmm. And of course, the number the numbers won't always show that and won't always mean that he is, but at least these player personnel um, coaches can't can kind of narrow down the player's film that they want to look at. So one example that I found was Tavon Young. He had a really low target probability effect. So maybe like we can, the teams can start focusing on these players and looking at that film. There's an offensive implication as well, which is kind of investigating if some defensive back should be targeted more or less. So there was no known correlation between the target probability and completion probability, but maybe there should be. Why would we be throwing to Eddie Jackson so much if he is drawing an incompletion so much? Right. And then on the defensive standpoint, I think that this is when I was trying to kind of get into this optimal combination of defensive backs. So can you essentially force a throw against a player who has a very low completion probability? So someone that maybe isn't perceived to be as good, but the numbers back it up. And if you can get you know a team throwing to him, it's obviously exactly. fortuitous for you. Yeah. Exactly. So you had a, obviously have a limit, limited amount of time to do yes. this project, and I'm sure there's ways, things you would like to build on in theory. If you had more time and moving forward, what would you uh, do as an extension of what you've done so far? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of different routes to go down with this. Um, I mean, one of them being like, I kind of laid down a very general framework. So kind of isolating more situational effects, um, doing like man-to-man versus zone, different type of play calls. And also kind of breaking down these player effects to the right versus left side of the field. So can you see if there's a player who can effectively shut down the entire side of the field? I also thought about evaluating the effect of shadowing and double coverage. And then one of the papers I based my paper off of was the expected hypothetical completion probability. And they actually ended up adding in like counterfactual data to produce these hypothetical probabilities. So that I kind of increased their sample size. So I was thinking about doing something like that in the future as well. So you have also interned with the Diamondbacks on the baseball yes. side a couple of years ago. What is that experience like for someone who maybe is looking to get in the field? What is an internship, you know, without giving away state yes. secrets, of course, but what is an internship <laughs> with a, a baseball team or a pro sports team like for you? The really interesting thing was, I mean, football had kind of been the sport that I've watched the most my entire life. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously I've never played, but I probably had the most background knowledge of football so I was kind of Mm -hmm. nervous going into baseball um but I knew that was where analytics were at that time so just kind of being thrown into that environment for three months straight and like working 70 60 70 hours a week and being at the field all of the time like I learned so much 
Mm. Like so much more than I thought I would have. Um, and just like being around the game is so much fun. And so absolutely baseball, you're working with, you know, stack cast type of data. How does yes. working with baseball data compared to what you've seen uh, working with NFL data for the big data bowl? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I mean, I, I think that I didn't deal as much with um, like strictly player tracking data. I looked at a lot of pitching data, um, mm-hmm. which is something that I was like very fortunate to work on because I had never seen pitching data before. Um but you know that all of these like tracking devices. I mean, the analytics explodes when you look at all of these different tracking areas, which is really, really, really cool. Yeah, there's so much stuff. It's it's hard to to keep track of. Yeah. <laughs> so we like to wrap things up with our playing favorite segment, where we go through a number of your favorites. So we'll start with your favorite number and why. My favorite number is 17. Um, I've played soccer all of my life, and then stopped when I got to college, and that was my soccer number. All right. Do you have a favorite player, any sport, either now or as you were growing up? Yeah. When I was growing up, uh, my favorite player was Charles Tillman. There you go. Peanut. Yeah. Peanut punch. Peanut. I know. I loved him when I was growing up. Do you have a favorite game of any sport that you've been to in person? Yes. Actually, my favorite game I've been to is um, a game against Georgia Tech with UVA, UVA football my first year when I worked for the team. It was the game that we won to make it to the first bowl game in like I think six or seven years and it was an insane game it was so fun you are from the Chicago area yeah do you have a favorite pizza place in Chicago yes Giordano's yes the best (laughs) mine too went to to college in the area and that that was my favorite they're all good as I'm sure love it Uh, and finally a favorite cool thing that's happened to you since winning the big data bowl whether it's an interaction or, or just kind of a hey that was really cool that type of thing um, I think that meeting the other winners has been really awesome. Um, Jill Reiner, I mm-hmm. think the other college winner, um, we've like been texting back and forth since the winners were announced. So um, we've been like helping each other out and it's been really cool to like get to know her and kind of make that connection. That's great. Yeah. Jill, the other guest here on this podcast. So, all right, that'll wrap things up for us here on Expected Value. Ella Summer, fourth year at University of Virginia and winner of the NFL Big Data Bowl College Division. Thanks for joining us here on Expected Value. Thank you. Back in the True Media Studios, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks again to Jill Reiner and Ella Summer for joining us on the show. You can follow them on Twitter at Jill H. Reiner and at Ella Summer 17. And if you want to follow Jill's Black Labs on Instagram, they're at Archie and Bodie. I'm told that they're good dogs. Our show notes have links to all these accounts to the Kaggle pages for Jill and Ella's submissions and other big data bowl information. I'm joined now by True Media's Andy Cox, who was a big data bowl judge this year. Andy, let me start just by asking you this. As a judge, what is your process for evaluating a big data bowl submission? Um, yeah, so we basically got a, a list of all the, the submissions um, and we were assigned a few. Um, so you know, I went through each one, just kind of looked for a few things. Um, one was you know, the models that were chosen. How well did they kind of balance that simple model versus complex model? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, because it, it kind of depends on what the problem is. Um, simple models can not necessarily come up with the best results. But a lot of times in something like this where it's, you know, you, you want to get results that communicate to a football coach or whatever the, the field may be, sometimes the simpler ones can be better, even though the, the raw number at the end might not be as good, just because they're more explainable and you can have a better understanding of what's going on inside the model and be able to communicate that to the coach and get a little more buy-in. Um, so that's kind of one of the, the core things I look at. So I think 
you know, if you're, if you're using like a, a deep learning or something like that, the bottom line might be a little better, but um, it's just such a black box that can be difficult to, to communicate the results. And so I think trying to find that balance in between is a, is a real kind of sometimes more an art than a science. Um, mm-hmm. So finding uh, someone that did a good, uh, good balance there is always good. Um, yeah. And then just coming up with unique ways of thinking about a problem. Um, I mean, I, and it wasn't the first time. I think there was a, a paper that both of them cited, or at least one of them cited. But um, the idea for for defensive pass coverage, separating uh, the target probability from the completion probability, because uh, you know the value mm-hmm. of a defensive back, um, we usually think about oh, how many interceptions do they have, or how many deflections, or how many incompletions did they cause, but generally the best corners are often the best corners because they're not thrown at, right? They prevent, right. and they're usually put on the, the team's top receiver. So um, if they can prevent those throws from happening in the first place, then there's going to be no completion. So um, framing it in that way of separating the target probability from the completion probability, I think was, was good in both their cases. That's just a good example of a unique way of coming out the problem that is a great way to use data to show things we may have not thought of before. Yeah, I think it was Devin Pluler with Toronto FC. The thing he always says at conferences is you can have the best model in the world, but if it doesn't, you know, isn't easily communicatable, if, if that's a word, then there, there's no point. So yeah, the simple one is often better just because you can explain it more clearly or it can be grasped more clearly. Uh, was there anything in uh, Jill or Ella's project in particular or any other project you reviewed in particular that really jumped out of you that this was a really cool way of doing something or had a cool output or something along those lines? I think it's mostly just, like I said, the target probability separating mm-hmm. that out. I think that that um, kind of separated them. I didn't review any of the college submissions. Um, right. So I don't know how they compared to the other ones. Obviously, they were very good because they won. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, in general, I think that that was one of the big things when they when they showed them to us. Uh, kind of what I liked about both of those. Anything else stand out to you just from going through the process of being involved in the big data bowl and, and what's that that's done for maybe the analytics community? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, they both talked about um, the how they kind of got involved through the mentorship program that the um, Mike Lopez and the, the NFL team set up there. Um, so I think it's a great way to get more people involved, you know, particularly uh, people who are more underrepresented, both in sports analytics, but just in technology in general. I think that's obviously a big problem in the industry that we um, need to continue dealing with. But, you know, there's also some great role models that are currently in the industry. I mean, they mentioned uh, Sarah Bailey with the Rams and Namita and the rest of the team there at the, the Kraken that they've assembled. So yep. um, I think the combination of both those things is just only going to make the, the talent pool bigger and better and, and just help the field in general grow. Yeah, great competition, as always, the third annual Big Data Bowl. All right, thanks, Andy. Yep. One final thank you to Jill and Ella for joining us here on the show. Uh, as mentioned, we have previous podcasts in the archives with Mike Lopez, the NFL's Director of Football Analytics, who organized the Big Data Bowl, the Seattle Krakens, Namita Nanda Kumar, who mentored Ella in the competition, formerly worked for the Philadelphia Eagles, and Dimitri Gordeev, Philip Singer, who won the Big Data Bowl last year. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at True Media Sports. Share the show across social media and let us know what you think. On behalf of Andy Cox and all of us here at True Media, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks for listening to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. Mm-hmm.